What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. We're streaming! (laughs) Not yet. Live from Quarantine Zone. It says on my side, meaning is now streaming live. Wait, you stream... And there is also also a notification that says... Oh, I knew you could do that. We are now live. All right. Hey, guys. What's hey. up? Hey, it's Fade to Gray <laughs> wow. in quarantine. Howdy. Hey, guys, it's the Fade to Gray crew. <laughs> social distancing. We're maintaining and social distance. And we are distance. here to entertain you. So today yes. we've got Luke King back. I hope you guys remember him Ooh. from previous episodes as we did with him. Go do a search and you'll find him. It's been a long time. He's a former time. host yes. of a podcast about religious faith. He is not on to talk about that, but about his new show, Curiously Morbid, Luke, welcome back. I'm curious. What a beautiful, what a beautiful intro, Elizabeth. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was lovely. It was great. It really. Hey, it was it's brilliant. good to be back. It's so good. It's top it's, of the line. It's it's so good. It's so good to be back amongst friends. Not that Aww. I was never not amongst friends, but this was. You guys were like you. You all have been my favorite. Uh, my favorite show to interact with in my uh, my long and distinguished podcasting career. <laughs> that you know. It's, well, thanks for saying. Yeah, that was that's nice. Really nice. Kind too. Very enjoy- kind. Yeah. We've Very enjoyed kind. hanging out with you too. And it's true. That's the other thing. Like I'm not. You know, I'm not just uh, not just blowing smoke up your up your skirts. It's it's, true. it's the truth. <laughs> Say truth. what? But you can blow as much smoke up my skirt as you want to, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man it's good to see you i've missed the hell out of you what have you been up to uh well uh lately not much of anything um but right. uh in that boat. but uh no i uh so gosh probably i think i may i don't know if i mentioned this on i don't know if we got into this in my previous interview but um funerals has been something that um uh, I started doing funerals about two years ago, officiating um, for non-denominational, non-religious. Um, and then I found this uh, just recently, like in January, I went to a celebrant training because there's, um, so I've been a celebrant uh, is what we're called. And um, and so I'm, I encountered another mortuary. They basically said if I went through this training, they'd pay me more per service. So I went to the training. And uh, the cool thing about it was that there's not really like a professional network for celebrants there's only kind of mm-hmm. one and it's not like we're uh, um there's no like licensing or anything like that so um so so you're kind of like on your own when you start this and so for the last like two years i've just kind of made it up as i go and uh, i actually got to go to a training uh in january in vegas and see how everybody else does it and see well cool. actually see how people see how people that have been doing this for 20 years do it wow and, that's cool and uh it was awesome have you ever done something where you're like okay what you what you used to do before wasn't bad 
but then you just learn like a better way to do something and you're like, oh, that's how you do it. Yep. Um, yeah, that happens to me like every single time I go to a training on teaching, I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah, and so so the, the great part is because I'm my own boss, I got to implement all the changes I wanted to implement like right away. Back, back in days of like when I was working for corporations, if I would go to like a training or a seminar, you'd come back with all these great ideas and then they're like, yeah, we can't do that. Um, and, uh, again, you're like, why the hell did you send me to that anyway? Uh, but because I'm my own boss, I basically was able to just kind of like come in and start to work these changes in, um, and also see all the areas that I was like falling short in. Um, so, so that was cool. So I've been doing that. Um, been really busy. I did, um, I think 40, uh, when I, I've got one service next week as of right now, that's still scheduled to move forward. And that will be, I think, service number 44, 45 for the year. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I had a really busy. I did 22 in January. I think I did 17 or 18 in February. Um, and then I think I've done like seven or eight. Or like, so whatever that adds up to. Um, but well, yeah. So Can you explain exactly what a celebrant does? Sure. Uh, so a celebrant is basically has the, the, plays the role of a pastor, but doesn't have the goal of a pastor. Um, and so, so we get up there, we conduct the service. Um, if you've ever been to a funeral, when the pastor gets up and does like an opening prayer and usually does a sermon and then usually does like a, a, an emotionless and disconnected eulogy, um, (laughs) and then, and then, or like reads the obituary, asks for people to speak and then does a closing prayer and then might go, you know, say something at the graveside. Um, we just do that, but better. And, and so, um, not to denigrate a lot of pastors, just, they're not trained to do this. They, they come in with kind of their, um, the best way I can describe it is when like to, to draw a really good juxtaposition is if a Catholic, if a Catholic priest is going to do a Catholic funeral, there's the Catholic way to do the funeral. You take the name of the person, you plug that in and you do it the Catholic way. Right. And, right. There's uh, an equation. Yeah. It's and, just and you're just it's you're just filling in forms. Exactly. And and yeah, so so that's a great way to put it, Seth. There's an equation. Whereas a celebrant is basically it's like a canvas and every service starts with a blank canvas and then it's up to the family and to you to paint that picture. And so when I get called to do a service, it's usually because the family says um, we don't. We weren't that religious, you know. Dad was raised in church, but hasn't gone for years. We want it to be about grandma. We don't want it to be a church service. Um, we're atheists, um, you know. Uh, and so, so when I get a call, um, my my number one responsibility, my number one goal is to to tell a good story and to honor that person's life, whatever that looks like. So when do you do the altar call? Uh, never. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually turned down a family and told them I'm not the right person for them because they wanted an altar call. And I think, mm. I think an altar call at a funeral is like trying to sell a drowning person a life raft. I think you're taking it, you're taking advantage of grief, and mm. um, and I refuse to do it. Um, and so, uh, so my first step is once I get the family's phone number, I set up a meeting with them. And we sit down and we meet for an hour and a half to two hours and we tell stories. And so I ask all kinds of questions about the person. Um, 
you know, uh, what did they love? What was inspiring about their life? What were their challenges? What were their successes? What lessons did you learn from them? How would they want to be remembered? Did they ever talk about if they wanted to be remembered? Um, you know, all all kinds. And I asked them in a bunch of different ways, just because you you know you can ask the same question in a bunch of different ways and get people to start. One of the most successful questions that I have is, were they a crazy driver? <laughs> because that because that start tell me tell me how they drove because that starts stories oh i remember this one time we were on vacation and dad somebody cut him off and you know we did this thing or i say you know were they an on-time person or an early person um you know what was it how did they how did the if if they walked if they walked into the room right now how would the room change mm-hmm. um, yeah mm-hmm. so so all kinds of questions like that and then um depending on if the family is going to speak or if it's just going to be me depends on how much of the story and how much of the stories I take and retell. Right. So if, if, if a family member is going to speak or multiple family members are going to speak, um, I encourage them strongly to send me their scripts. Um, I have them write stuff out because it helps them think. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also helps me see what they're going to tell. So I don't tell the same story. Yeah, and, that's good. And so if a family, let's say we've got a, a situation where a family member is going to share the eulogy or, uh, or you know, different memories and stuff, I will approach it from the perspective of I take a very broad view of things. I talk about grief at every service that I have, just in multiple ways, depending on the situation. If it was a sudden death versus if it was somebody who, la- who you know, was 100 um, or if it was a teenager, you know, uh, and suicide versus, um, you know, motorcycle accident or something like that. And then we, I'll take like a, I'll tell like ways that their life weren't, was inspiring and try to find right. different themes in their lives and focus on those. Um, now, if it's somebody who no family members are speaking, that's when I re- really kind of love it because I get to tell the whole story. Hmm. And, and so, so I get to talk about, you know, what the world was like when they were born. I get to talk about the ways that they met their wife or their husband or partner or whatever, you know, and, and that's, uh, I, and when, it, when I have a family that tells me, you know, that's really detailed, I just love it because there's so much you can do. So are you only servicing atheists? No. People? Like, no. Nope. Who all are you servicing? I've worked with atheists. I work with Buddhists. I've done a service for a Muslim family, actually a couple of Muslim families. Uh, I've done services for Christians. I don't typically do services for people that are super religious. You know, grandma played the organ in church all her life. Uh, normally she has a pastor that's going to do that. And so, uh, and if somebody, uh, and I don't work with folks who are very, very religious, um, and mainly because they want a pastor anyway. But, uh, but I've also done services for people that were born Catholic and they don't want a priest. And so we integrate certain Catholic elements into the service, you know, different prayers, Hail Marys, Lord's Prayer are very, uh, a lot of times folks are trying to appease their traditional Catholic family members. And so they want somebody that's going to come in and say a couple of Catholic prayers, but isn't a priest and isn't, you know, doesn't bless stuff. So I work with folks of all different faiths because my, my goal is not, I am not there to talk about my faith. I'm there to talk about the person who has died. 
And, well, and so- I know that you're going to be able to find a lot of commonality with Seth because Seth has also serviced people uh, in a different way, oh, men mostly up, from all sorts all right. of different I backgrounds. Have a question <laughs> like for, for real? A serious conversation. It's not even that. It's just that there are five people here, and I'm sitting there waiting my turn to talk. And you butt in again with some <laughs> stupid jackass thing to say. So anyway. Welcome to Fade to Gray. What I wanted to know from you, <laughs> Luke, is is that where you got the idea to do a Curiously Morbid podcast? And what are you going to be doing? Are you yes. going to be telling stories like that so, of, of people's lives? Or what's Curiously going on? Morbid, Curiously Morbid came about because <laughs> this is, death is when I was a pastor and when I was kind of super religious. Death was talked about as the transition to heaven. And mm-hmm. I'm working with so many people now who they don't care about that transition. Even if they're religious, they're tra- the, the transition to heaven is not what people want to talk about. What they want to talk about is their grief. What they want to talk about is, I cannot tell you how many times I've this. I, families have said these exact words to me. We've never done this before. We have no idea what to do. And And so my first... My first response, the first goal of this is to talk about death from a way that not a lot of folks are talking about it in, in, the, in the death podcast realm. If you listen to a lot of death podcasts, they're talking about I really grief. don't. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Serial so, killer podcast, so, not oh, death right, podcast. Yeah, true, right. true. I do listen to a lot so, of true crime so, podcasts. So if but, you're yeah. talking, but if so, so for those of you that have never listened to a death podcast before... If you listen to these podcasts like um, uh, Nora McInerney's podcast or David Kessler, anything that he does, they're all about how to grieve. And that's super important. My focus is going to be, one, how to plan services and how to be okay with doing something that's outside of the box, how to, do, how to, how to plan something that is true and unique to my family member. So you know, if, if my family member was all about cigars... Um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, handing out cigars after the service or, you know, and, and figuring that out. Uh, that's just an example. Uh, I actually used a cigar as a prop when I was doing a service for a guy who was big into cigars. But also, I view life so differently because I'm surrounded by death every single day. Right. And I'm, 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 I'm surrounded by death of people who are older of people who are younger. The first time I ever did a service for someone who was my age mm. was very different. I, I was going to um, say, know, what's the hardest service you've ever had to do? There were two that I, well, there were three that I almost like, there was one that I did cry at at the end. I, I couldn't, uh, I could not get through my closing. Um, there was another one. I recently did a service for, so, so the first service I did, I recently did a service for a trans man. Um, and he was 24 um, wow. and um, died in a motorcycle accident. And when I met, so they called me because they did not want somebody who was going to come in and be super religious and super um, nose blind to, uh, to the trans community yeah. and, of um, and just stupid. And so they called me and I met with the family and the dad is this six, five, bald, badass biker guy. The kind of guy you would expect to not be accepting. 
um, just from, you know, just from stereotypes. kind of what you see. Yeah. Stereotypes. And, yes, yeah. If you're stereotyping somebody who's not going to be accepting, this would be the person that you would expect. And he constantly talked about how strong my son is, how strong my son was. Um, my son had to deal with more adversity than most men deal with in a lifetime. I mean, just... Oh, and then when he got up and spoke at the service, and it was just, um, I had a moment where I, I after, after, uh, after he spoke and after his, his mother, the gentleman who died, his mother read a note from the girl who was on the back of the motorcycle and survived the motorcycle accident. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, my gosh. And that, that was a, that was a tough service. Um, the other tough service I did, uh, where I literally just almost I I, I, I couldn't get through the la- my last part. I had to pause. Was a young lady. She was in her thirties, and she had been battling drugs for a long time. And they found her overdosed in her car. And she had three three younger children. Her oldest, I believe, was twelve. And her her oldest daughter was going to sing a song at the end of the service for her mother and she couldn't she only made it through about half of it and her best her best friend came up and wrapped her arms around the little girl and sang with her and they finished the song together i would i'd come and glue into that then i had to go up and say something after that and um and i had to go that was that was i had to go basically i had to basically go close the service and that was that was that was really hard and then probably the the other one that thankfully I had enough time, I had enough time for the emotion to go away. There was a, a service I did for a woman. She died. Uh, she was in her, I believe, mid fifties, early sixties, um, cancer, and she had two daughters and I believe four granddaughters. There were six, six, and there were no sons or grandsons. They were all all daughters. And the um, the the dad, the husband, he was just this this gentle giant very man of few words but just a man of great love and you could tell so they had a 16 minute slideshow which I generally hate long slideshows but they had a 16 minute slideshow that was beautifully crafted where it had photos of her life from birth till death essentially and they did songs in that slideshow um, that that followed songs that were popular in each year essentially and there were there were six roses sitting up by the urn when the when the slideshow started playing the the dad the husband came up grabbed the roses and started distributing those roses to each one of the girls as the song was being played and it was just this beautiful family moment that i that i got to witness because they were off in the family section which we i hate that but but the family section is over to the side, and I hate the fact that we separate the family from the people that are there to support the loved Agreed. ones. Agreed. I've had to be in that section. I hate stupid it. Stupid bullshit. Whatever. I would refuse to sit in that section. But anyway, I I got to witness this beautiful family moment that not really anybody else got to witness. Um, and so uh, so that was that was that was a beautiful moment, but it was hard. Uh, so anyway, those are that those are the t- the two that come to mind in terms yeah. of most challenging. I would imagine that sounds like it'd be, and then you have to kind of compose yourself and kind of wrap things up. Like, a, it'd be hard, especially with the younger. You do ones. have to maintain a distance. Yeah, you try to be as connected to the family as you can while still maintaining a little bit of like a I don't know, kind of like a third party, you know, distance essentially. 
Well, right on, guys. And if you've, you know, we're watching live, sorry to get a little bit depressing there, but hey, we're being quarantined. What else do we have to do? And, and Luke, I mean, it, like your perspective. But see, so. So so Omar so Omar it's interesting that you say that. So sorry to get a little depressing. And that's and that's one of the things that's so important about this is we we try to avoid talking about these things because they can be depressing but they are inevitable. And right. when we when we're afraid to talk about them, I see you Seth. I'm I'm going to stop for a second cuz I see you want to jump in on this. When we when we don't talk about them and when we say well we don't want to talk about it because it's depressing. People are not equipped then to go into these situations to be able to have conversations and 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 when when I when I ask families how would they want to be remembered I cannot tell you how many times I've done one two services out of two hundred and fifteen where the the family member was open and honest about discussing death and wasn't afraid to tackle it head on and I see the way I see how important. I see how that family reacted to the planning the service compared to so many families that say we never talked about it. Hmm. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, death is uncomfortable, like you said. And I mentioned that in our last episode that we recorded because I'm realizing I'm ageist and part of it is because I don't really want to get old. And part of it's like, I don't know if it's a fear of dying, but nobody wants to not be here anymore. And, right. and and that's the fear that I think everybody's dealing with currently during this whole COVID-19 scare, you know, I mean, 3% chance of dying and mainly for the older generations, but there's still a chance, you know, so people are actually reflecting more, I think, on their mort- mortality now than maybe they have in their entire life. And maybe that's a good thing. And speaking of which business must be booming, Luke. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, no, because we can't gather. So all right, so business is not booming. Seth, you you say 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 what you want. You've you've been sitting there so patient, and I can see the looks <laughs> on your face. So what do you what do you got to say, man? I want to talk about this. You know, calling it depressing or really sad. Yes, it is sad. Yes, it is depressing, but it is inevitable, and that's essentially what everyone is saying. We need to be able to look at that and actually know a little bit on how we're going to cope and having those supports in place life is hard and things happen. And I think that this is a very important conversation. I, I, it's depressing on one end, but on the other end, it's also encouraging in that we're able to see and maybe plan for our own, uh, making sure that we have the tools and the supports we need. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, like death is sad. There's no, there's no way. I mean, my my grandpa was 90. He was ready to go. Uh, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of his death. I was supposed to go visit him two weeks after he died. I remember calling him and I said, "Hey, I'm planning on coming to visit you in May." He's like, "I probably won't be here." <laughs> I mean, he was he was Aww. ready. He was ready to go. He was, you know, he was ready to go be with grandma if that's what you believe happens. And and um and so that is still. I still. We'll start talking about him. It might happen today. It might not. I still will start talking about him and get emotional and be sad. I will still get in, be in the car, and which is where I make all my phone calls. And I will still be like, ah, oh, I could call Grant. Nope, I can't. And those are the sad things, but they are, like you said, Seth, they're inevitable. And and not talking about them does not help. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it any easier on people when they get to that point. And so to be able to say like, you know, I'm going to be transitioning out of this world at some point, as we all are, 
when I go, this is how I want to be remembered. Um, I personally don't care if I get cremated or get put into a casket because I want my family to do with me what they need to do to be able to grieve and move forward. Hmm. And so there are provisions. I was going to do my will this month, but then, you know, income has gone down. Um, <laughs> but But there will be provisions in my will for them to do what they need to do with my direction to to be able for for them to be able to grieve yeah and, yeah, and some flexibility I think, I think that's so important because i'm gonna like, be dead right who cares <laughs> it's interesting like i have very limited experience with death i've lost two uncles and four grandparents um as far as people close to me are concerned but like yeah my my two uncles died extremely suddenly like a plane accident and a massive heart attack like oh, wow. at yeah. a young age and so, like, those two, they both had wills, but to deal with their funerals was so much different than dealing with any of my grandparents. Because, I mean, right. all but one of them had a plan, like, this is exactly what I want. Like, even my grandma that I was talking about on the last roundtable, she had a little, she was the last grandparent to go. She was ready to go at grandpa's funeral 18 months before. She basically told my sister and one of my cousins, hey, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be at your wedding. <laughs> and none of them, like... They're not engaged or they don't have a somebody yet. So like, yeah, she just right up straight up said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to be able to be at your weddings. But so she wrote a little sticky note. And at the top, it said, if I die before I wake. And it had like five points that she wanted a couple songs. And I think there was there was two songs specifically she wanted us to sing and then a scripture. And there was one other thing I can't remember. There were like three or four things she wanted on her at her funeral. And so we all knew those things make the living who, I mean, let's be honest, like, I think, I, I don't, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I think most of us sitting at, uh, behind these microphones right now, we feel healthy, we feel good, we don't want to go yet. Right. I, I don't know what it's going to be like when I'm, where my grandpa was at when I'm 90 and I'm not as functional and most of my friends are gone and the world that I'm living in is not the world that I grew up in. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, you know, everything that I knew, everything that was familiar is now foreign, including being alive. Right. Mm -hmm. I might be ready to go too. And, and yeah. I've, mm -hmm. I've had bad hangovers where I'm like, God, I just want this to stop in any way possible <laughs> and where, 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 where I'm like, you know, whatever can make this go away. And so, so all I know, like I trust the human organism to tell me that it's time to go unless I die suddenly. Um, so I don't worry about it too much. I'm not so much worried about being dead, but I am worried about, uh, I am afraid of the process of getting there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, it, it's not so much for me, like being dead is not is not what I'm necessarily afraid of because I, I don't have any recollection of what life was like before I was born. Right. The transition from here to there is something that is concerning to me. Sure. Uh, you know, I think of someone like Dave Warnock who, you know, is suffering from ALS and knows that he's got a death sentence. It's like someone who knows that they're going to die soon can live their life in a completely different way. Yes. Because if you're, if you're just, you know, living out your life without any disease like that, that's going to kill you, you absolutely have no idea when you're going to die. Right. But for someone like Dave who has an expiration date, you know, he's living his life to the fullest. And, it's almost like, is that not better? Is it not better to to do that? I'm not saying it's good to have ALS. I mean, what I'm saying is, is it not better to live like you never know that you might die tomorrow or the next day? It's like, live an actual life. Don't just sit there and 
and uh, listen to Fade to Gray podcast <laughs> all day long. Get out and do Why something. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Get out and do something while you're listening to Fade to Gray podcast, there but you live go. your life, right? Yeah. See, the problem, the problem with that is that's a great platitude. It's a great thing to say, but that's really hard to live consistently. Why? Because we have patterns and routines and ways of just things, monotony of life. Not- it's really, really hard to be intentional and do that. Like with Dave Warnock, like he goes on trips, right? Like do they go, he goes in period, like in spurts. Is that how that's yeah, done? I mean, I so, so even with, even with Dave, so a couple of interesting things with, with Dave, I mean, obviously he's not traveling right now. Nobody is. Right. <laughs> Uh, and I know, I think from what I understand, he's pretty hunkered down um, because he's obviously more susceptible to things. Yeah, of course. But even he, uh, there was a, he's put out this funny video a little while back where he's like, uh, hey, y'all, so when I got this diagnosis, uh, well, we were going to do, we were just going to travel till the money run out and well, it run out. And so, uh, <laughs> so we, you know, and so, so even he was kind of you know, living like, you know, car paying the fucking diem, if you will. Right. Um, and uh-huh. and kind of uh, the disease has not progressed as, as fast as it as as he thought, which is great. And we're all happy about that. I just was I just spent like five days with him in Florida uh, last month and it was awesome. But uh, but there's a there's a Seth, you're out. I think you're right. There's this tension between, you know, uh, live life to the fullest. You only live once. And what if I live till I'm 90? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and 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 for me, my approach to that has been, I don't want to do something if if I if I I like I love to work anyway, but I've hated all my jobs. I love working, but I've hated my jobs, <laughs> and so so I finally found a I finally found work that I love, and for me, one of the best ways to live life to the fullest has been to find where my passions. And my talents intersect and pursue those in an income-producing fashion to where I get up every day and I, if I could retire, I wouldn't. If I could financially retire today, I would not because I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so- I think that's so important. And so many people get up in the morning and they live for the weekend and they live for retirement. And if I died tomorrow, are there some trips I would have wanted to take? Absolutely. Are there a few things in life I haven't experienced that I want to? Absolutely. But if I died tomorrow, I would be able to look back from my deathbed and say, fuck, I loved life. Life was amazing. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, when I, was, when I first started practicing yoga, I was like, whatever, man. You know, we just got to live life to the fullest and not worry and all these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, but what if I do make it? I'm not going to get married. I'm not planning on having kids. So I got to be able to pay for somebody to come take care of me. And and all these kinds of things of like, you know, talking to Dave, I was like, what if I got ALS? I have no disability insurance. There's no way I would be able to support myself if I, now I have disability insurance because of talking to Dave. I was like, well, shit, I need to get that in place. You know, so all these kind of like, you know, Dave was able to sell stuff and he's able to to pay his bills because he had a job where he gets, you know, he gets, he still has an income coming in. And so, mm-hmm. so that was a real, a big wake up call to me is like, well, what if that happened to me? And th- that's also something that I want to talk about on the show, which is, are you, are you doing something that is vibrant to you? Are you getting up every day? Do, do you, do you live for the weekend or do you, or, or are you living? Are you loving life? Are you, have you found a way? Well, Luke, the time, the timing is right. 
you have picked the perfect timing to launch this podcast because, you know, and the timing's right for everybody listening right now too, because if you're like me or the Williams family, you've been hit hard by COVID just by like the governor of Pennsylvania this week told me that my job is not essential. So sorry if you live in Pennsylvania and your power goes out, I'm not allowed to work on your house, but you can go to Dollar General or Home Depot and get stuff yourself and COVID yourself there. <laughs> you, so can't, I got, you can't do it. You can't you do can electrical go. work. No, no, nope. it's not essential. It's so I'm a subcontractor and the contractor I work for oh. had to shut down. And so technically, I mean, I guess I could try to work for myself, but it kept saying it's going to be enforced. And I don't know what that means. That's a whole nother conversation. That's scary. How are you yeah. going to enforce people not to work? Right. And I do love my job. But it's one of those things, you know, with four kids and the stress of, you know, debts and different things I needed yeah. to pay, I, you know, the job wasn't enough to, you know, to begin with really as it was. So, and I knew I can't do it forever because it's a high stress, high physical job sort of, sort of deal, but I did love it. But like you're saying, and everybody's in the same kind of situation I am now where most people, a lot of people are, if you are working, be very thankful <laughs> Because, you know, just, I mean, I thought that I've worked in food service my whole life and construction. And my thought was everybody needs to eat and everybody's going to need shelter. And I mean, those two jo- those two businesses are hit, hit hard right now. And I'm trying to be creative. Elizabeth is a, is a teacher, a music teacher, and nobody wants, you know, to be close. She's trying to be creative with online lessons. We're all, and that's where we're at. But no one can afford them. So, yeah, that, you know. Yeah, right. That's a whole other <laughs> right. story. People exactly. are people aren't paying for stuff because they're like, man, I can't pay for anything other than food, shelter, clothing, transportation right now, because there's yep. no, it's the apocalypse. you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I fortunate, like uh, about two and a half, three years ago, I was like, I need to get out of debt. I need to start saving up money. I need to like get kind of financially meh, set up. And I'm thankful that I started that, you know, last year or a couple years ago, as opposed to like, you know, in January, which is why, like, I haven't applied for unemployment or anything because I'm like, right now, I don't need it. Mm. You know, when I need it, I'll do it. Or if I need to go get a part-time job, like at a grocery store, I'll go do that if they're hiring. But but right now, fortunately, I'm kind of in a position where I'm like, well, I can kind of just take a month off and be all right. Where a lot of people aren't really in that nice. position. That's really nice. And, and hopefully with and your job too, I mean, people eventually, whether it be through Skype or whatever, they're going to need fu- funeral services again. It's going to be a service, especially if this COVID hits as hard as people are saying it's going to or potentially yeah, could. I'm, I'm anticipating in the funeral industry, things actually come in seasons, believe it or not. And so, so there's a, there's a death season and death season starts around mid October to early November. And it usually goes through, and it goes through end of March. That's so weird. I'm sorry. I don't understand this. Why? So there there are some theories behind it. Um, What's the theory? Can I, can you tell me? Cause this is weird. The the theories are, the theories are um, uh, flu season. It starts about the same time. And so mm. increased deaths due to flu. The other theory is uh, holidays create a lot more stress and they create a lot more sadness for folks who have lost loved ones. And so that increased stress and that increased sadness leads to, you know, heart attacks and other things. People eat a lot of rich foods over the holidays. And so diets change. Mm. Uh, but honestly, they don't really know. If you kind of Google, like, is there is death seasonal and is... You know, there are some there are some theories, but there's nothing that's really been like concretely studied. As far as I know, if somebody finds something, I'd love to see it. That's interesting. 
but uh, but yeah, you can always. And actually, February is usually a little bit slower, but this year it wasn't. And uh, and so so typically, what will happen for me is that I'll be busy the first part of December. And then from Christmas to New Year's, it'll be really slow because nobody wants to have people are traveling. Um, they'll usually push their funerals till later. So from January 1st to about January 20th, I will have funerals for folks that died in December. From mm-hmm. January, from mid-January to mid-February, I'll have funerals for folks who died in January. And then we start getting back to like, you know, a more traditional setting where, you know, it's about 10 days beforehand that that you'll encounter that. Um, okay, I'm curiously morbid. Yeah. For the people that die in December and you don't actually officiate their funeral until the 20th of January, they got to be smelling, right? Most of them, well, so refrigeration is key. Um, a lot of these are, are cremations. So oh, that makes sense. You'll be cremated. You can wait. Um, if you're not going to do a viewing, you can refrigerate the body for a long time. I don't know how long, but um, if you're not doing a viewing, you can refrigerate for, for a, 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 a while. Yeah, it's between two two weeks and a month. Is that how do you know this? Is that what it is? I mean, I worked for a funeral home for four oh, years. Oh, there you go. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I helped embalm bodies and then helped with a lot of the services. I did that all throughout high school. Seriously, things mm-hmm. you learn about my stuff. spiritual. My spiritual mentor was a funeral director. That's fascinating. I didn't so, know that. That's why your faith is dead. <laughs> So when I go, like, when we do Bible studies, a lot of times we would do Bible studies while embalming a body. Wow. Um, with the Bible open and, like, the, you know, or we'd be listening to a sermon on the radio. I mean, I have, I have stories. Wow. What um, did you do in the embalming process? In the embalming process, I was just an assistant. Okay. So I was not allowed to, like, make the cut. Um, right. but I mean like to wash the body that you have to have two people. Yeah. Uh, if you're to the whole washing process and then, you know, I mean just embalm and then we just, I just do what I'm told. Yeah. I help move parts, help set the body, help make the, f- the features right. Did you ever have to help uh, prepare anyone that the, you knew? Yes. Oh, what was that like so much? It was strange. Uh, but I, the one, there is one person that I really wanted to see and didn't. Um, and in fact, later my, he even came to me. It's like, you should have called. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the dead person came to you. No, no, no dead people came to me. Why Um, why did you, was it someone that you were close to that you wanted to see? Was that, it was a classmate's brother. Oh, that was a few years younger than my brother. So I knew Corey pretty well. And w- I didn't. I refused to see. I had a classmate who died his senior year, and I refused. So to why see did her. you? Why did you want to see the brother, but not the the I classmate? Don't know. I don't. Just I don't. Out know. of curiosity, morbidly I, curious. Was curious. there an attraction? No, and I was not gay at that time. <laughs> I. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I. <laughs> But I don't know, Corey. I grew up with Corey. I we did a lot of things in 4-H, and his brother and I did not get along. And his brother was in my class, and I hated him. I don't know. I, so there was just there was dynamics. Yeah, you um, hated and him. Kylie. You wanted to see him dead. Not him. I hated his brother. Oh, I, Kylie, who was in my class, I refused to see because we had done theater together for nearly six or seven years even starting in middle middle school into high school we competed we were really close friends i wasn't about to well, it's so, to it's, do so that. That it's you know it's so interesting one of the things that i've i've uh, 
read about RE, the grieving process and experienced in the different ways that I grieve my grandma versus my grandma is that we grieve different people in different relationships in different ways. And, it's true. And, yes. and this, this thing where, you know, um, David Kessler says where there's a connection, there will be grief. And that connection doesn't always have to be positive. And this obviously isn't in mm-hmm. connection to what you said, Seth, but, but people wonder why they're so sad when someone they hate dies. You know, oh, I'd, I had a horrible relationship with my so-and-so, but I'm so sad or I'm so disappointed or whatever. And, and and the reality is is that wherever there is a connection, there's going to be sadness. There's going to be grief. But also, the the the, the difference is it's not like just because you you know there, there's this idea that well if you don't cry then you're not grieving or if you cry too much you're grieving too much and 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 this sense of you know we greet we all grieve we we very much grieve the same way that we live where if you're a jokester you're still going to tell jokes if you are you know if you cry during lifetime commercial or lifetime movies and commercials you're going to cry <laughs> at funerals you know grief doesn't magically change your personality but the way we approach the deaths of of different people is going to be different based on that relationship right now with the state of the world and the fact that like we're losing our jobs and nothing's promised tomorrow is not promised for anybody. Um, people were freaking out. Loved ones we know we're freaking out. If you're not freaking out yourself, um, it's an opportunity to live each day. Like it's your last, like make it your best, make the best of it. You know, it doesn't have to be spectacular going to and seeing the world. Cause obviously we can't right now cause we're, but it could be, you know, doing the things that you've always wanted to do, you know, that talent you've always wanted to work on, never had time to, you know, the people in your life. Like piano lessons. <laughs> like, so maybe, maybe you it's guys- people in your life that you haven't spoke to in a really long time that you've been waiting for them to reach out to. It's like, I make the most of, why not today? Why not it be today? that Because you may not have tomorrow. They may not have tomorrow. And then it's kind of like... I, I, speaking to the grieving process it's kind of like why i have regrets you know it's one of those things living your life fullest whatever that looks like for you i've said i love that you just said that because a question about living life to the fullest because right now um most of us living life to the fullest means like the most full thing we can do is like go to the gas station or the grocery store or like go take a walk so have you guys (laughs) have have you got that's like as that's as full as we can get y'all so have you guys, I don't know, I mean, I know all of you on some level, but but for me, I, I like, you know, kind of the self-development, like, you know, get out, hustle kind of approach to life. Have any of you guys had kind of this existential crisis of like, oh, I'm not producing anything. I'm not doing anything right now. Like, I'm kind of stuck at home. Like, what is my purpose? How do I find my purpose? How do I occupy myself? Like, what is it? What has this process been like for you guys to go through? More just and, how do and, I feed well, my Chris, family? is the only yeah. thing that I'm really like, how do I take, cause I love, I mean, I could podcast. We're going to, we're podcasting right now. We can do editing. I love all of that, but there's not money in that really to speak of. No, it's not feeding and your family. So right. It's what can I do? How can I be creative at this point other than government assistance to, to bring in an income? And yeah, like you said, I could run out and maybe try to get a job at Home Depot if they're applying. I mean, I'm there three times a day anyway. You might as well just, you know, give me an apron. And, uh, but even that, like, is that mess up the government? Am I going to end up 
making less by going and doing that, then now I don't like qualify for unemployment. And so what's the right move? What's the correct move? And, but, but then again, I'm so happy that I'm around my kids now every day. Like I got to pull my son's tooth, which I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't home. You know, he was eating lunch and I heard crying and, you know, it was wiggling around very loose and it was, it was a cool experience. It was his first tooth coming out. And if I was working, I wouldn't be able to experience that. So I would rather be here. I'd rather be doing this, what I'm doing right now with you guys, but how is everybody going to eat? You know, how are they going to have a future if they want to do things later in life? So that's. For me being not the one who's the primary breadwinner of the family, I, uh, I've been on a two and a half, three year quest to come up with ways to make money anyway, all from home, because I am the mom who stays at home and homeschools the kids. <laughs> That's what I do. So this week it's been, which one of my projects should I really put all my energy into to complete it and produce it and put it out? And I've been honestly fucking overwhelmed with which one to start <laughs> with. Um, because uh, I have my own homeschool podcast, as some of you know, and I was what, going what? to do a homeschool conference. And yeah, I was going to do a conference in April and we've had to co- cancel it. Uh, but the keynote speaker, uh, she and I had a meeting yesterday and she's like, I think with this, everybody being home and forced to do homeschooling, we have a huge audience, a much yeah. bigger audience than we could have had. So we were brainstorming that like, so... Uh, for me, it's been so. What are the details, baby? The Go ahead and tell us the details. I... Don't stop now because there's a lot of people listening right now, uh, moms and dads who are being forced to homeschool that never have been in that situation before. So, right. Okay. So, so here's the details. On April 18th, we're going to have a conference over Zoom. I have to fix all of my ticketing information, so it's not uh, yet, but um, I'll give you guys the link as soon as I can. Jean Miller of Waldorf Inspired Learning is going to be our keynote speaker. You, Waldorf, just, just, just so you know, Waldorf Inspired Learning is not Christian homeschooling. Just throwing that out there because I know there's concern there. So you'll love this lady. Um, it, she was, um, on the interview that I did and released it on Fade to Gray uh, about a month ago. So she's going to be sharing. I'm also going to be sharing. Um, and our goal is how do we, homeschool. What does homeschooling look like? I'm going to be giving some scheduling tips and she's going to be showing how to create your own, basically create your own curriculum with what you have, um, which is really important with what we've got going on right now. And so yeah, $20 is going to be the cost. It's going to be from 10 in the morning to two in the afternoon on April 18th. We'll get you a link as soon as we get it. Do you have a name for the conference? Because I have some, I have some good names, if not, you know, like apocalyptic style learning, you know, and then the (laughs) last last days. (laughs) We were calling it, it it was called the parent teacher conference. Um, And I had had that prior to the apocalypse. So I'm going to keep it because I think parent teacher conference is a good name for it. I think that's great, Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, is that like I haven't lost my job, but things have changed quite a bit. Like I'm teaching from home. So I'm kind of like homeschooling, I, I guess you yeah. could say, because all the kids are at home as well. Online tutoring. Exactly. And so things are definitely different. And it hasn't really caused me to change 
my viewpoints on stuff. I, I think I'm in the job. I think I found the job that I really enjoy going to and I would not retire. Even if I, I always joke like, man, if I want the, the lottery or whatever, what would I do with the money? I wouldn't quit my job. You know, I, I love it too much. Like, a, and I think that that already means I won the lottery. Right. So, Aww. but what I will say is that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I will say though, is that this whole pandemic has kind of made me think like more on a, a scale of society, like what we've built as a society and, and how it works. It's like, the whole goal is to make as much money as possible to be, you know, able to buy a bunch of shit. And whenever you don't have access to that money or you don't have access to that shit, you think that your world is somehow less. And the truth is, is that you don't need any of that. Like, let's say that you were to lose your house and you were to lose your possessions. You could easily go and you know find a place that's uninhabited somewhere build shelter out of the woods or whatever and hunt for your food and you'd be absolutely fine like let's be real like if you had to do that you could do it you know like it's not I the end of the world the biggest tragedy though as far as america is concerned is we've become so dependent on grocery stores so dependent on gas yeah. stations so dependent on even yeah. the government bailing us out when things go wrong that if any of that were to collapse there'd be so much death and panic and ridiculous sure. like apocalyptic behavior when why haven't we been teaching our kids that from the beginning? Why haven't we been learning to hunt, how to farm, to subsist, subsistence live? If we're really yeah, con concerned about a good life, but if we've just been sipping the Kool-Aid for too long. First world problems. Now we're in this situation and you know, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Chris, and you know, we've been talking, we know Death is one of those things that's inevitable for anybody. We don't really know when it's going to come. We hope it's later in life so we can accomplish as much as possible. Once <laughs> once we get, basically, once you start having kids and a family, like at least for myself, I spoke about this last week, how you know I want to be around for them. So I got very distracted right now because Chris is te texting and talking about how sexy Luke is. And so I'm laughing, trying to remember my train of thought. But yes, I agree. Wearing my tight pants today. Luke, you're so. a very sexy man. Yes. That's what did it. Well, no, Omar, I, I agree with you. And it's like, would we really mourn the death of the society that we built up if it were to go south? Like the people that come out on the other end, would they be better off? You know, like that's. But what about the people that don't come out on the other end? Like I those mean, people too. <laughs> like also, I mean, you know, if half don't come through, I mean, <laughs> it's sad, but it's what we've built, you know, and and it's obviously extremely well, unstable. We've known that for and a long it's time. Obviously, we've known that these. Yeah, I'll just call them what it is. You know, a lot of these government government entities, you know, they're ran badly. They're not. There's not a lot of foresight in it, and we have this two party system that is ripping at each other, and they're never actually able to. And never and actually able to accomplish anything either. You know, it's a lot of good ideas yeah. get squashed by like the next party because of non bipartisanship 
and, and all that different things. And we've known for a long time, but we've just still continue to put our trust in these systems that continue to fail with. So we, we saw even with 9-11, what happened with the whole NSA and giving away of our freedoms and our security and our privacy and, and all Patriot that Act. different stuff. And then here we are now, the next big thing, the quarantine, and we're just like sheep allowing, I, I mean, I, I, I get it and I don't. And we'll talk about this a little bit. You guys let me know how wrong I am. I get that we need to quarantine. We need to be smart. We need to try not to spread the disease. But I look at the list of businesses who are allowed to be open and the disease is still going to spread. And how are we, I mean, we're basically collapsing the, the economy doing it this way, not allowing people to work for X number of weeks, months, however it will actually be, and then go back to work. I mean, hopefully there's an cure at that point or some sort of vaccine because I mean you're gonna the spread is inevitable and so I guess I'm just really curious other than other than not wanting the death holes to spike right away I get the kind of like prolonging effect right I my yeah the only like the the way I'm I don't know I mean I I'm not the thing is like I I don't know I'm I'm just You know, I'm just me. Um, but I, I don't want to. I, I, I think that you know, I, th- this, this can't last forever because once you have it, from my understanding, once you have it, you, you're not going to get it again. And, and the goal here, I think the goal is to, to just make sure, like they're already there. You know, we already, it seems like. Are, are getting a little bit more prepared than other countries have been just because they're trying to, to produce more, you know, respirators and stuff. And they're moving hospital ships to the coasts. And like, even out here in California, they've got a couple of hotels that are going to be quarantine centers if it starts to get overwhelmed. And they're going to take people to those so that there's other services available at the hospitals um, to do stuff that's not COVID-19 related. Well, that's the whole, that's, you just hit the nail on the head. The whole idea is not to eliminate this disease or that that's not what we're doing. Um, what we're looking at is at, you are going to get this. It is, it is going to happen. What happened in Italy and what happened in, or potentially what happened in Italy and what happened in these other countries is that it spiked so quickly that their hospital systems became completely and utterly overwhelmed. And the hospital systems couldn't take care of the people. And that's when they started to see the death tolls rise. The whole idea is flattening the curve. Essentially, by keeping people at home, we are slowing down the spread. Those places, they can't close a grocery store. If they close a grocery store, people don't have access to food. I mean, the idea, yes, there is going to be spread. But it's, it's not about preventing the spread entirely. It's about slowing it enough that our hospital systems can manage the incoming people who are sick. Well, I think but Chris thoroughly disagrees with me. <laughs> so spin me. I don't know. Cause that's, that's so, literally so if I like, don't agree with you, it's what spin? Fox news was saying last well, night. No, I mean, I just, I don't know what other news you've been hearing in that regard. <laughs> so look at South Korea. That's from South Korea did not shut down major cities. They haven't put people in lockdown yet. Their cases are disappearing. And what are they doing? They have access to testing and they're simply testing people. And if they're found to be affected, they quarantine them and they disinfect everything around them. Okay. So the problem is, is that the United States is not prepared for that. And I agree with Omar about, you know, the the fact that we've 
kind of put our faith in this system, thinking that it's going to work for us whenever, why would we ever think that? Have you ever gone to the DMV? Like, there's no way that shit runs efficiently. And we really trust them with a pandemic. It's a terrible idea. Terrible. So what's the what's the alternative then? Like like what's the other than sitting at home and and posting on Twitter? Like what's the what's the alternative that that we should do? Like well, at this point, the, yeah. At this point, I I think this is what you have to do. I think you have to shut everything down for a few weeks and let the disease just kind of like manifest itself in the people who are affected. Those people get treated. Uh, and they get quarantined and hopefully we do flatten the curve. But I think that that could have totally been avoided. We're not even talking about the reason why the United States was so unprepared. And that's of course, because China, uh, their government covered it up for months. Just FYI, sorry, just FYI, according to the guardian, and I don't know how much we want to trust the guardian, but there were quarantine measures in South Korea. Well, sure. I mean, they, they're quarantining the people that are affected, but they the issue is they they had the test to be able right. to take care yeah. of it. The okay. problem is when we should have been collecting tests, we were saying it was no well, big deal. Well, that's because the Chinese right. government told the, us well, it was no big deal. The leader of our country was doing that. The I leader guess. of China told us that. But, and not only that, but they covered stuff up and ordered tests destroyed and whatnot. Agreed. And I just wish that when the medical people, because multiple medical people went actually and was like, this is yeah. a concern and they all well, I agree. The government fucked and up. And I just wish we would have listened to doctors rather than China. Like, why aren't we trusting our medical community? That that I don't understand because that would have made a huge yeah. difference here. We You're would right, have had Seth. the tests. We wouldn't be quarantining like we are now. And I think like the test would have made a huge difference. And I think also yeah. just preparing the American people on an honest level, like I would have known a month ago that I could potentially be losing my job. I would have used my tax return in a much different way. Than oh, yeah, you would absolutely. have gone in like emergency mode, save up, get ready, yeah. hunker down kind of thing. We, yeah, We just absolutely. got given, you know, a good chunk back from the IRS through taxes because of child tax credit and everything. But anyway, like, and we used it for a vehicle so I can get to work to a job I don't have. So here we are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff. I, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, several people at fault here for the reason why this has become a pandemic, namely China, the Chinese government uh, is the number one blame here. And I think that they will end up having to, answer for that uh, much in the same way. I mean, there's going to be millions of people that are affected by this. You can blame either. China. You can blame Trump. You can Already. blame, I mean, sure. Let's blame God. But, if we're going to be blame, putting blame on things like well, much, much the same way that much the same way that the Germans, you know, were, had to be responsible and take uh, responsibility for what they I did to the Jews. I just think it's too soon to be worried about blame when we have a lot of other things to worry about. I mean, I agree. Blame, but I mean, it's coming. Well, the and I think that the Chinese government will have to answer for that eventually. Well, probably, but it's not, that is not as much of a concern as the whole thing. Well, what can we do that we don't continually put the, ourselves in this same system or path? Or is it too late? Um, are we moving to a mil military state? Is that a possibility? Is you know, like what is military? Basically, state the, how are they going to enforce the quarantine? Like, how long does this? How are they going to enforce Omar staying home going, from work? Am I, I going to be arrested? Am I going to be arrested feet. at gunpoint because carrying my well, tool bag? The way like, to, what's going on? The way to enforce the way to enforce a quarantine is to shut everything down. I mean, if there's nothing to do, 
where what are you going to do? The fact that we're supposed to stay home here in California, and I think a lot of places are doing that too. I don't know where everybody's at with that, but but the fact that we're supposed to stay home in California with the bars closed, the restaurants closed, takeout only, uh, retail stores closed, like with everything closed, where are you going to go? Yeah. And enforcement options, from what I've heard, like some enforcement options are if you violate the quarantine, you lose a business license or you get a fine in your business or something like that. If you violate the stay at home, safer at home order. I think there's a lot of, I think there's one of the things that makes me kind of like step back when people start talking about like martial law and military state, like people are already panicked enough. Right. People are already taking stuff. People are already going and buying as much canned food as they can. Could they declare martial law? Sure. Could they do all those things? Absolutely. But we don't know if they're going to. And to freak out about that just is more panic right. than than I think is necessary. Um, and and, and, I and agree. ultimately, like I really, do, if any, from where I sit, like any kind of if if Gavin Newsom declared martial law in California, which I believe he's constitutionally able to do in California Constitution. If he if he does that, I think it could be the first time that there is a Republican governor in California uh, the next time we do an election, because I don't know if the electorate will be able to. St- we Americans are very rebellious. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know if if any politician is willing to risk the political capital to declare something like a martial law. You know, unless we really just think the Constitution is going to be ripped up because of this pandemic and that nobody's going to, uh, you know, that we're never going to have elections again or whatever. I just don't think anybody's willing to risk that. I think politicians are more concerned with staying in power than they are about risking putting uh, service members in the streets and forcing a quarantine. Absolutely. But that's, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, and I think I still believe the good in yeah. people. So that's it. <laughs> New Jersey did... Not martial law, but they did release the National Guard, who is now, from what I understand off of the news, which, who knows, you know, news isn't always accurate, especially around issues like this, but that the National Guard will essentially be like delivering food to kids. Right. Specifically, since all the schools are closed down and they're going to be. That's what they say know, they're going to do. Essentially, right. Filling in needs, but the question is, what are but they that's, actually but going to do? Calling it the National Guard is different than declaring martial law so that way so that they can enforce so that you know having having national you know national guard troops are called up during hurricanes they're called up during during all kinds of national disasters to to support humanitarian two very big words seeing seeing (laughs) uniformed people in the street does not mean you're going to get arrested and thrown in jail because you went to go to the grocery store and people are equating those two things and and to me like like panic is contagious and so is calm. And so like, let's not freak out until necessary. Do I you guess think, is where I, how I sit. Yes. And I agree with you. And I don't think people should freak out, but do you think that the mainstream media has forced people into kind of freaking out because instead of just reporting facts, you get sensationalism and reporting on people going and buying up all the news, the toilet oh, paper. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> honestly, if we ever had any preparation or warning for what's happening currently, it's the news. That they have been the ones that have been on this and have been <laughs> accurate, and our president has not. 
when for the last from January to March, this was being reported on, not in extreme, but to a degree. And then it hyped up because we were they were getting the opposite from the White House saying, do not worry about this. This is no big deal. And I, like the rest of the world is falling apart. I think the news got this oh, right. No way. Now, is it causing some panic? Uh, absolutely but it should because we still have people like literally my grandparents well i i have one now but like doesn't make a big deal out of the pandemic at well, good. all natural selection she's listened to trump for natural the last selection six months. she'll go away and there'll be no one less deal. trump supporter seth like <laughs> but that is but oh that is but again that goes to that goes to the idea that americans are rebellious and they're going to do what they want to do like we can only you know, if, if it's this, it's the, it's no different than if somebody has a heart attack and doesn't change their eating habits, it, or or they're told that they have if they don't stop smoking, they're gonna die. Some people don't give a fuck and they want to live their life the, however they want to. Uh, regarding whether the news hyped it up, I think they are. I think that they are incompletely reporting things. Yes. I was listening to the news last night and they were like. California has got a thousand new cases and seven new deaths or something like that. But what they're not talking about, and if you watch the press briefings, you'll hear this from like, there's, we actually have some people on the task force who sound fairly intelligent besides our president. Like right. He doesn't sound, <laughs> but there are some people who actually present facts pretty good and or pretty well. And, and so, so the fact that they have been saying expect cases to spike because now we're testing, right? Expect these things to go up. Because now we're getting accurate test results. Like everything that they've told us to expect in terms of like numbers going up and things. Um, and and, and while they talk about numbers going up, they're not talking about the fact that uh, from, from what I've heard, like we haven't had, um, we haven't maxed out hospital capacities anywhere. Like these new cases have not meant that, that we're seeing these kinds of surge. It, it, it's incomplete reporting. And if people don't, like I've, I've had time to sit and listen to every press conference where they're like, expect numbers to go up because testing is we're, we have more reliable testing. It makes but if sense. You don't, People if get you tested, don't know, numbers go if up. If you don't know that, <laughs> if you don't know that, then then you you just hear these news reports. You think, oh, my God, there's so many, there's uh, these these numbers are skyrocketing. I, who knew? It, we're, because they're not saying. These numbers have gone up because more people are getting tested. They're just saying these numbers are going up. It's like people are like running to the hospital to to get tested because they're falling deathly ill, and that's not what's happening. Right. Um, and the other thing too that is 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 odd is this almost discouraging of healthy people from getting tested. Yes. Which is shocking to me because if you talk about like disease prevention, like let's talk about like you know, STIs, for example, they're always like, get tested, get tested, get tested, get tested, get tested. So, you know, if you have it, but yet they're discouraging anybody who is not showing symptoms from getting tested. Right. Because they don't have enough tests. Right. And, and because we waited and dragged our feet for months. If you imagine, you know, these numbers are skewed slightly higher because healthy people who show no symptoms are, are not getting tested. Well, that's not entirely true. Because and you have so, those Hollywood elitists who are perfectly healthy getting tested somehow. Well, yeah, NBA players are getting all the NBA, every, yeah everybody that has a lot of money somehow is able to get tested. That's really interesting to me. But um, but it's it, it but the but but I'm saying as a population, if if everybody were to get tested and we were to see those numbers, this probably wouldn't look as bad as it is. No, definitely not. And because because there'd be way it's like um. 
It's like it's like let's use herpes as an example. Everybody loves herpes, right? <laughs> <laughs> most, I don't know, Seth, what is herpes most like? Doctors won't test you for herpes <laughs> because so many. I do not have so many herpes, people. Thank you. Well, most doctors oh want a herpes. Most Get doctors right. won't won't Shut test up, you for boys. Luke's talking. Herpesyphilis. Most doctors won't test for herpes unless you have an active lesion because so many people have herpes that it's and most people never show symptoms. But if you only tested people who showed symptoms and you only reported those cases, then it would be a much bigger deal than everybody getting tested. You know, you know, so it's just it's this thing of I agree that we don't have the capacity to test, but uh, I think that the idea of this being so fatal is I think that the numbers are slightly skewed because so many people aren't getting tested because we can't Absolutely. test them. And I think that if we were able to test everybody when this is over, I think the death rate would be dramatically lower. Absolutely. Um, than, I mean, than imagine the people that have reporting. already recovered and they never Which is also you know, not got reported. Tested. Exactly. No, I have not once heard a lot of people have recovered from this. Right. Um, you have to find that information. Yes. Um, you have to go searching for that because all that's being reported is new cases and new deaths. We're not and talking sensationalism. about yeah. We're not talking about recovers. No one has said out of these out of you know I've not heard one news report that has said out of these cases this percentage has been mild. Right. And and I think that there's some there's some aim to keep people scared to keep them home to stop this to slow the spread, but that's contributing to panic. Yes. And if you just present if you said we don't want to overwhelm the system. We will if everybody gets out and does shit. So please stay at home. And that's why we're doing this. But listen, this disease, it's it, because if you say, if you were to say this disease isn't that bad, everybody's going to leave their house. And right. They're just going to be like, fuck it. Let's have a pool party and celebrate the fact that the world didn't end. Um, <laughs> because you can't in general, I don't, I think you, you can't trust a large swath of the pop. I, I don't know. It's just, I see what's happening and I'm trying to just like stay level headed about it, but it's also frustrating because I'm like, I want to go to work. It is frustrating. Frustrating. <laughs> I want to go to work. It's really frustrating because there's so many people at fault for the reason why things have gotten the way they are. Um, and as far as the media goes, they're not reporting all the facts. They're of course reporting sensationalism because they have a goal. I mean, well, it leads, it leads baby. What's that? If it bleeds, it leads. I mean, if right. you, you can't, you can't, you know, they don't, you never hear a report that says, uh, you know, today 10,000 flights successfully took off and landed right. where they were supposed to. You hear about the one, um, uh, uh, you heard about the one emergency landing that happens every month, you know, because it's boring. To, otherwise, nobody wants to hear about successful flights. They want to hear about the bird strike. That That's right. And boring news crash. equals less ratings, which equals less money. Right. Revenue. So. In our capitalistic society, the media profits off of your fear. So imagine what our news would look like if they were not allowed to have advertisers. Oh my gosh. It'd be great. What if Whoa. what if what if you weren't what if the what if the nightly news was not allowed to have advertisements? That that'd be perfect. That'd be, be absolutely perfect. It'd, what if cable it'd be unbiased news. news. What, if, what if what if what if there was yeah, what if there was like cable news that that could not that was not allowed to have advertisements? It'd be NPR. Like like that <laughs> from NPR News in Washington. <laughs> I'm Lakshmi saying. I wonder if you have to if to uh, to work at NPR you have to prove that you 
you do not have inflection in your voice. <laughs> like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if your, I wonder if your job interview at NPR consists of, we want you to read this paragraph without inflecting, without having any inflection in your voice. No emotion whatsoever. Right. You just have to, you just have to, thank you for joining us. Welcome to NPR. I would never be able to get that job. I think... I, I hate to say this, and I, I'm just saying this because if you look at the, the people who are on NPR, Ira Glass, all these different people, the, the, I think the benchmark is you have to be Jewish. <laughs> Whoa. Like Andy oh, my gosh. Andy and you're the one who's the always like, <laughs> look at that. No, no. It's, you're the one who's always joking. telling like, us not to be gonna, racist, Seth. That's not being racist. I'm Larry Mansell. <laughs> Like eighty percent of the people who are on their shows are Jews. I mean, are Jewish. That's not. I'm not. That's not racist. That's a fact. I don't. You can't say Jew. That's not racist. But this virus came from China, Seth, and that's a fact. I'm just kidding. It is a fact. I actually have been calling it the China virus on purpose. Racist. Seth's done. Seth's done. That means the episode's oh, over. Well, guys, thanks for being here. <laughs> oh man, I'm not done. I just, I'm fun. just saying. No, it's been a lot of fun though, Luke. Seriously, thanks for coming on. Yes, and this has been a blast. Curiously morbid, and it's going to come out sometime. I don't know when. Yep, you'll be able to be sharing, <laughs> but we'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know for sure because it sounds like it's one of those things. Of like, people have been asking me since January. When's your new show coming out? I'm like, I don't know sometime could i i think i put up i think i put the facebook group i was like could come out in february could come out in april could come out in december i don't know it's gonna come out sometime though it's coming well thanks um, to the coronavirus it's, uh, it's gonna be out very soon yeah i'm pretty sure it's gonna happen a lot faster because <laughs> i got time so that's all we got uh for those of you who heard us talking about dave warnock you can go back to fade to gray and listen to episode 44 uh, and hear Dave's story. Uh, he's the person that's uh, dying out loud, is what and he calls just, it. If you just threw Dave Warnock into your uh, search bar on any of your uh, any of your podcast platforms, you'll probably be able to hear Dave's story about seven different ways. And yeah. you can, uh, if you listen to him long enough, you can tell when he's annoyed during certain interviews <laughs> because because they ask him they ask him the same questions so often. Most people have asked him the same questions so often. Um, that you can actually tell when he's annoyed and when he's not based on how he answers the question. It's kind of entertaining. Um, I texted him one day. I was like, were you annoyed during that interview? And he was like, fuck, it showed. <laughs> but I, won't say, I won't say which one uh, or any of those things. I'll leave it up to you. It to was the fade to gray one. So spoiler alert. Actually, I, you know, I don't think I ever listened to that one with you guys. Oh, I don't think I ever heard wow. That one, it's really good. Oh my gosh, Luke. <laughs> I know. He tells a story <laughs> that I don't think I've heard him tell on any other podcast. Really? Yeah. Oh. And it's really touching actually. Oh, um, so I highly help. recommend everyone go listen now, to it. Now I'm going to have to listen to it because I'm going to have to see if we you're made right cry. Yeah. on that one. You made me cry. Ooh, yeah. ooh you got the tears. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. If you can get tears, that's when it's a win. He's talking about his girl. <laughs> we got him talking about his girlfriend a little bit. Oh, nice job! Was that his girl? It was, it was very that new. Was the, um, new. It was it was very new at the time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He. Um, it's funny because when he interviewed on my show, um, he talked about uh, people that he was dating past tense, and uh, he he had not let them know that their relationship had ended at that point, and so <laughs> they found out that their relationship was over by listening to my show. And oh my gosh! And he was like, he was like, why'd you put that out there? I was like, why'd you say it? 
You, didn't you do tell his me. voice so well. T- oh, I love. I've been around. It's. I love his. His. Uh, his. He's just. Oh, he cracks. I love Dave so much. Every. Every chance I get to be around him, uh, I. I try to take advantage of it because uh, um, he's just so fun to be around, and we laugh so hard. We were in Florida. Oh my God, he was. He was true to form. I mean, in. Uh, in so many ways, but yeah, you guys. If you don't know, if you haven't checked Dave out, you got to check him out because he's, he's a, a pretty special guy. He's a pretty special guy. Right on. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Fade Gray Podcast. Luke, thanks for being our guest today. And thanks for having me. Yeah, everybody thanks. stay safe, stay healthy. Stay home. Find stay work home. at home. Enjoy your coronation. We want to thank you so much for checking out this episode of Fade to Gray. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we're up to, Please feel free to check us out at www.fadetograypodcast.com. If you'd like to support us financially and receive the perks of a patron, please feel free to check us out at patreon.com for as little as $5 a month. The intro music to this episode is provided to you by Dan Koch, and this episode was edited by Seth. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.